Harris is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Auburn's going to win the football game. He ran the missed field goal back. He ran it back 109 yards. They're not going to keep him off the field tonight. Boise State for the win. They hand it off to Johnson. Boise State has won the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl. Can you believe it? He's going for the corner. Kick is blocked. Appalachian State has stunned the college football world. One of the greatest upsets in sports history. Welcome back, everyone, to the fifth year podcast. We have our championship game preview today and a lot more to talk about. Uh, we're going to look back on the New Year's Six Bowls and the semifinals of the college football playoffs. Lots of movement in the transfer portal, including the biggest addition to date in Oklahoma quarterback Caleb Williams. And we have a great uh, sit down with Georgia beat writer Seth Emerson with The Athletic. So that was a lot of fun. We will break down the championship championship game with him. So a lot to get into here. Uh, what a uh, fun uh, – the New Year's Six Bowls were actually a lot more fun than the, uh, than the playoffs, which seems to be the case uh, – most years, those games on New Year's Day were awesome, uh, which kind of made up for some pretty boring, uh, some boring playoff matchups. Yeah, a lot of really uh, fun ones to watch. I must admit, didn't watch much of the Pitt Michigan State game, but that was probably the worst one after watching the highlights. And then I didn't watch. I didn't watch a second thing else Pitt, was on of Pitt uh, Michigan State. I had that was that was the least zero interesting of the of the games. You take out Kenny yeah. Pickett and you take out. Kenneth Walker, and that's essentially the Birmingham Bowl. I mean, seriously, yeah, that, that the that Auburn wasn't... Houston game was just as interesting to me as as the the Peach Bowl. Yeah, that was actually a really good game. The Auburn Houston game was. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't. I I'm with you there. I did not watch the Peach Bowl, so I have no thoughts on it. I know it was a a nice uh, comeback from uh, Sparty. I think they had 21 on answer, but that's all I have on that one. Ruley, let's uh, let's hop in on the uh, Fiesta Bowl. Huge win for the Pokes. Uh, Early on, didn't look good, but they fought back and uh, beat uh, Notre Dame 37-35. God, those first, that first half was – or the first couple drives, Jack Cohn looks like Dan Marino, which is startling. He threw the ball 68 times, I think. I, that, I think that's fake, but somebody said he threw it 68 times. That might be the last two games combined, but I honestly don't think it is. Let's um, see. Let's see. Yeah, but he did. They, I mean, 38 for 68, 68 times. That's insane. Like Graham Harrell wouldn't even throw it. That. I mean, maybe a couple games, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, that's a ridiculous hey. amount of throws. Yeah, that's nuts. Um, OSU did what they've done all year, though. At halftime, made good adjustment, and Spencer wasn't bad in the first half. He just wasn't um, locked in like he was in the second. I just don't understand. So Spencer's arguably two best games of his career, right? Are this bowl game and the last bowl game, and the common denominator in both of those is they went super up-tempo um, in both of those games. So I think it might be easier on him. He doesn't have to sit and think and, and do as much processing when it's just like snap the ball, go, snap the ball, go, which makes me wonder why the hell they aren't doing that in every regular season game now. Right. Um, but that was an incredible performance from Spencer. The defense, like I said, as they do all year, they without Jim Knowles, 
still made adjustments right in the second half. They only gave up seven points. Um, yeah, and that dominated. was a, that was it. Wasn't that like the last drive after they'd already? Yeah, like they, they, uh, the game was pretty. It was pretty well in hand, but um, they ran Spencer probably a little more than they would have liked. But it's the last game of the year, so you don't mind running him seventeen times. But he had one hundred twenty-five yeah. on the ground. I saw the stat. He is the second player in FBS history with 350 yards passing and 100 yards rushing, including four passing touchdowns. So very um, specific metrics there, but he's the second player ever to do it behind Taj Boyd. But his best game is a Cowboy, once again, giving a little bit of hope uh, going into next season. But it it is a great performance. I don't know what you guys thought, but I I was pretty excited about the win. A loss there doesn't like hurt you, but a win certainly really, really helps you on the national stage. So you think he's coming back? Uh, He's actually eligible for two more years. Yeah. He could play another two. (laughs) So He's going to leave. If he plays those next two, he could leave here with some records, but he's going to, he could break like every record. Well, he would need a really good passing season because I think his highest and Clint could probably check on this is his highest passing total ever is like twenty six hundred yards. It's like Jeez. like Whedon had that in like eight games his second year or something. Like he, he didn't light it up. Yeah, he's um, had like uh, 2019, 2065, 2020, 2007, 2021, 2839. Yeah, actually, and those I are think very, he, very low numbers. Yeah, and I think he actually had the same completion percentage and attempts or something like that uh, both years. His oh, my gosh, first, or yeah. first 2019 and 2020, he had exactly 155 completions for 247 attempts. That's crazy. Yeah, which is odd. Um, it's like Chris Davis for the A's. He hit 247 um, like seven years in a row. Which is <laughs> impossible. Like that seems yeah, crazy, big, but I I was pretty pleased with Spencer. It's good that um, the defense kind of flexed up and they go out and get you one more. Um, Tanner McAllister was great in his last game at OSU, and we'll he's for Ohio State, right? Yeah, he's going to follow Jim Knowles up there. But I did think it was interesting. OSU was playing the guys that were in the portal, um, but I guess that kind of speaks to them as individuals. They yeah. do like yes, yes, they're leaving, but they want to stick it out. And um, played till the end, but a 12 1 season for OSU, they're second in a decade. So 2031, hey, watch out. Yeah. Well, hey, what an appropriate uh, ending or cap to Malcolm Rodriguez's college career. Leads the team in tackles, yes. 11 tackles, uh, got off the quarterback a couple times in that interception. Yeah. Kinda... The, the pick, I, the pick, I was like, what? I mean, I wasn't shocked he caught it because Malcolm's a, a great athlete, but the, Terrible throw by Jack Cohn. I mean, yeah. I don't know where the hell he was looking, but yeah, it was um, not their best game of the year, but it's definitely Spencer's and the offenses and uh, some weapons coming back next year, but it should be exciting. Yeah. What do you, what's, what do you, I mean, outlook wise, what's ex- expected back? Like offensively? So my, I, 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 I find myself saying this again this year, last year. So they lose Tylen, they lose Chuba, they lose Dylan, you know, they lose all these weapons on offense, right? But I was thinking to myself, you know, this defense is still pretty good. And I think the same thing again this year. They have a veteran quarterback coming back, which granted he's he's bad or he's good, but it helps when you have reps under center. They're going to have weapons on the offensive side of the football returning and coming in. Um, is it Taylor Shetron? Is yeah. that the receiver? Shetron, and, his brother? Yeah. Yep. and he's legit. Um, yeah. Really good football player. He'll come in and bolster that receiving room. But you saw guys like John Paul Richardson have a bunch of grabs. Saturday, Presley. Uh, Presley looks good. We're getting his little brother, um, Braylon, who's just as electric. But th- the talent will be there. I do worry or wonder who they're going to hire a defensive coordinator. 
I think that does kind of loom. I definitely wouldn't hire anybody who was calling the plays in the first half. Um, they got torched. <laughs> I think because it was kind of by committee, I believe, all game. But I, you really don't lose that much defensively because of how much you rotate guys in on the defensive side of the ball. A lot of guys have experience, but um, obviously a lot can happen between now and, and next August or September. I'm sure they'll get some portal guys. They'll probably lose one or two more to the portal, but there's definitely a reason to be excited for next season. Yeah. I didn't realize how ahead Mason Rudolph is in career passing yards than everyone else. 13,618 passing yards. Next is Whedon with 9,200. Yeah, see, that's not getting caught by Spencer. Um, (laughs) It would take a a while. He could break, like, the career wins uh, mark, though. I don't know what that number is. It's probably by Rudolph as well, about 30-something, but – um yeah you could do that yeah so really overall awesome awesome year for for the pokes and uh you know it just kind of shows mike gundy every time ready to kick gundy to the curb he just shits out an 11 win comes back yeah he comes yeah. back stronger he's doing <laughs> yeah. a lot of uh he's he's doing a lot of uh empire talk lately though so i think he kind of understands we have an opportunity in the little 12 if you will um to be a dominant force um, with OU and Texas leaving. I don't see why not. You can't go be the big dog and then a bigger conference wants to add you in later on down the road. Then let that happen. But um, his comments, he's like, we have a logo too. Uh, he said some other things that it's just kind of like, you think he's, he's ready to make a jump. And he actually yeah. called this the biggest win in school history. I, I saw that when I did, I, I mean, beating Notre Dame in a New Year's six bowls, awesome but it's pretty large. there's no way i don't think there's one oklahoma state fan that would put that win above the 2011 bedlam win that or the so i actually think his most important win ever not his best but the most important win in osu history is at missouri um 2008 or 9 i think i can't remember but zach robinson they're going to play chase daniel jeremy macklin team hasn't punted in like three games um they if Missouri wins they're number one in the country night game in Columbia OSU goes OSU and Dez Dez was great that game but I think actually Isaiah Anderson no something Washington anyway some like a fourth receiver scores three times they win the game I think that was the most important win in Gundy program history because that was a a legit road win against a ranked team and uh kind of got them on the national stage I would I would definitely put 2011 Bedlam just because it was um, the got to be one of the biggest blowouts in OSU history on the winning side. I assume it is. It's actually not. Never mind. I, I learned that in trivia. But just the fashion in which they won, and then I'd probably rank it OU 2011, this Notre Dame game, and then Stanford game. Yeah, yeah. It was a a lot of similarities between that 2011 and and, and 2021 t- teams. Not the actual personnel, but the fact that finishing with a uh, Fiesta Bowl. So, uh, really good year for the Pokes. Another team that had an opportunity for a uh, a banner victory was Utah, and it looked all the way through the Rose Bowl like they were gonna go get their first, their school's first ever U- or Rose Bowl victory, uh, but came up just short. The Utes led this whole way, uh, seeing they were up two touchdowns most of the way through. I mean, their offense did everything they could. Big game for Cam Rising, which I really, really like to see. Before he got injured, he had. 214 passing yards, a couple touchdowns, also 92 yards on the ground. Uh, Britton Covey, who's one of my favorite players in college football, 
with quite the cap on his career with that uh, kickoff return for a touchdown in the second quarter. But despite all these big plays for the Utes, they just could not stop that Ohio State offense. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who has had a couple of really, really big games already this year, had the best bowl performance I have ever can I can yeah, remember it's, I mean, it's number one, right? Yeah, it's number 15 it's catches, number one. 347 yards, which is a bowl game record and three touchdowns. I mean, that's against a really good. I mean, Utah was thin in the secondary. They're rotating some guys in, including a couple offensive players, but still Utah's a good defensive team to do that again. I mean, that was ridiculous. I'll say to be fair to CJ Stroud, he made some throws that were big boy throws. I think that one he put into the end zone, like corner of the end zone, like dropped it in a basket. Um, like perfect throw Smith and Jigba gets two down, but you're so you're not going to beat that, but I don't know how much differently the game goes. If Cam, I don't know if Utah necessarily wins if Cam Rising's playing, but you like to think their odds are better. Yeah. But that kid, the walk-on kid that came in th- through a not nice bad. touchdown pass. Okay. Yeah, the, he's not it, terrible. the one thing that I do not understand, and I think Whittingham is one of the best coaches in college football, their clock management at the end was horrible. It was bad. They yeah, had three, three timeouts. Ohio State was clearly – they were well within field goal range already. So they were going to get most likely points on the board. Rather than trying to stop the clock, they don't spend a single one of those timeouts and just let Ohio State just kick, what, like a 25-yard field goal? Yeah, like a chip shot. And then you got the Ohio State kicker talking shit. I, I didn't like that, actually. It was like waving goodbye. It's like, dude, you made an extra point to win the game. Yeah, like, the, the kicker I, – I, I literally probably could have made that kick. Yeah. I mean, maybe probably not with guys out there, but you know, no, I, mean, I can make that kick with no football blocking. players. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe pull a hammy at the same time. You might be able to make it too. Oh, I would for sure. Game. I would for sure pull a hammy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that was a hell of a game. The Rose Bowl is always fun. That was that was. I mean, if it weren't for the OU Georgia game a few years ago, I would say that was a a uh, one of the better uh, Rose Bowls I can remember. But between it seems the Rose Bowl. Just produces great games. Yeah, it really I mean, does. I was just thinking yeah, about the that. Penn State USC game a few years ago. I mean, obviously the Texas USC game yeah. from 05. I mean, there's just a lot of all time greats uh, in Pasadena. Smith and Jigba, if he was in fantasy, it would have been a 63.2 point performance. Is that any good? I think it's pretty good. I think it's above average. Good hey, God. it's about what, uh, hey, Jamar Chase almost oh, did. I know. Um, so, yeah, Rose Bowl is great. Sugar Bowl. Uh, not very entertaining. No Matt Corral for Ole Miss after he got injured early in that game. Uh, good news, though, for Ole Miss is that Lane Kiffin says the x-rays came back negative, so it doesn't look like a long-term issue for Corral. So hopefully that does not uh, impact his draft status. Uh, this was a pretty boring game. Only score in the first half was a 96-yard pick six uh, by Walcott for Baylor. Uh, I mean, Ole Miss just couldn't do anything once – uh, once Corral was out of the game. Uh, good, really, really good season for Baylor. Arguably their best – I don't think it was their best team ever because I think that uh, team that nearly made the playoffs was a, was a better team. But They should have made the – they should have made the playoffs. Right. So, But I, if you look at the actual results, Big 12 champions uh, and uh, Sugar Bowl champs, uh, just record – I mean, that, that – it's probably is going to end up going down. Maybe is considered the best best Baylor season of all time, which is which, which is, is year two for Aranda for him to turn it around that quick. I mean, they Baylor is the more and more I see from the commitment from the athletic department at Baylor and what they do, 
I mean, they're committed the to winning. The, yeah. I mean, they're committed basketball. to winning football and basketball at the highest levels. Uh, so I don't. I mean, they're, they're, people don't realize they are the national champions in basketball and the fifth best team in college football. Yeah. Yeah. I was That's as that good as it day. gets. That yeah. is as good as it gets both ways in the revenue sports. Yeah. You wouldn't think the Baylor Bears are, are fit that build, but man, I that game was a snoozer though. Does Ole Miss not play John Reese Plumley at, at quarterback anymore? Was he officially moved to wide receiver? I'm not up on Ole Miss enough. Uh yeah, pl- I don't know. Did you see he entered the portal though? He did. So, yeah. So I, that I means think... he's entering the portal for baseball as well. Yeah, f- he's baseball uh, quite the baseball he's a much player. better baseball player. Well, he has, I think, the SEC freshman quarterback rushing record. Um, he rushed for like over a thousand yards as a freshman quarterback, which is kind of bananas. But he's he's I mean, I would have thrown him back there, I guess. I don't know. I mean, the other kid didn't look that bad. I don't think Ole Miss fans should be discouraged. But um once they get Caleb Williams in Oxford, that'll be a lot better. If Caleb Williams went to Ole Miss, I did see that they're willing to throw some dough at him though. Oh yeah, I'm sure they are. <laughs> um yeah, I once again I have no thoughts on the Michigan State pit game. Really doesn't sound like you do. Clint, do you have any thoughts on that game? Actually, just going back real quick to Corral, it's such a – and how are you talking about opt-outs? It's such a weird, just bad situation with opt-outs and injuries because you could see Matt Corral, obviously, he got really lucky, but I thought it, it was an ACL. He kind of got rolled up onto the side and he, his knee kind of got caught. It's just I don't know what, what you would do because I understand when people opt out, but you also – want players to play it's just you do know. legitimately hate to see what happened to him you're, you're thankful it's not a serious injury yeah. you could tell he was cut up about it too he looked like he'd been crying over there on yeah. the sideline like didn't get to play one more game with his guys uh respect to him for sticking it out but you're, you're glad it's not something that's going to affect his his draft status too much it's like a million dollar injury if you're a first rounder that gets hurt it's just it's just yeah, exactly. it's also just another reason or opt out for one of these guys to opt out themselves i mean they see right yeah you know, now they see that and it's, yeah exactly two years down the road some freshman at old miss right now is like oh well, fuck i'm not doing that yeah. even if the results came back negative it's still just a recent exactly. memory that they'll remember they've got to figure the opt out stuff out that i mean that lsu did you guys watch the lsu k-state game a little that bit was pathetic it was i mean that was not a that was the easiest k-state minus seven I mean, that wasn't time. even like a Conference USA level roster. I mean, K State doesn't go out and beat anyone 41 to 7. Hell no. And they, hell, they don't <laughs> score 41 points very often. No. I mean, they were playing against like Nickel State defensive backs, like two of the guys starting for LSU, I think were Nickel State transfers. Hey, Southern Miss won without a quarterback this year. Frank Gore Jr. played yeah. quarterback and, <laughs> wow. and they beat uh, whoever they played. I can't remember who it was, but I think it was like FAU or FIU. And then my mind always does go back to that Baylor game. Um, from 2016, I think. Uh, the bowl game, they ran for like 400 yards in like the Russell Athletic Bowl. With no oh, yeah, yeah. Because they yeah. just kept cycling in running backs slash receivers to play quarterback. I think mm-hmm. they threw like seven passes that game. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's uh, move into the two semifinals game, semifinal games. So first down in Arlington, Alabama, Workman-like game against Cincinnati, winning 27-6. to Cincinnati gave Alabama a good fight. Really, effort was not the issue for Cincinnati. Cincinnati defense played hard, but Bama just, from the get-go, kind of out-physicaled Cincinnati. Uh, that first drive when they just 
marched it right down the field. I think 10 carries, which was the most since 2008 on an opening drive for Alabama. They just ran the ball right down the throat of Cincinnati. And it kind of set the tone. Uh, Cincinnati defense, like I said, actually played well. They struggled against the run. Brian Robinson from Alabama had 204 yards, which was a career high. But they actually made Bryce Young uncomfortable when he dropped dropped back to pass. He threw for under 200 yards, really got after him. But the, the difference was the Cincinnati offense against that Bama defense. So I thought Cincinnati would have, be able to have some success uh, through the air, and they were not. Uh, it seemed like every time Ritter dropped back to pass, uh, a Bama defender was right in his face, knocking a ball down. Um, but Bama, I really liked Saban's approach in this one. It was just, you know what, we're just going to avoid the strength of Cincinnati's defense. We're just not going to need We're not even going to try to throw the ball on the outside. We're going to run the ball, uh, control the clock, uh, and then uh, give Cincinnati long fields to move the ball, which Bama knew that Cincinnati wasn't going to be able to do that. So I really, really liked Alabama's approach in this one. Uh, it wasn't sexy, uh, but it was a really, really good uh, early Saban era looking win where they just out physical uh, a good physical Cincinnati team. Really, what uh, uh, what do you want to add on that one? No, I agree with pretty much everything you said. I do think because sometimes you look at a score and you're like, oh, it was closer than that. Or was, I think that's a pretty accurate um, final score with how the game was played. You know, maybe one or two more plays go Cincinnati's way and they score a touchdown. Um, they just couldn't do anything, but, which does, um, looking back, you know, it's they can't they couldn't move the ball consistently against Tulsa. It's how, how well are they going to move the ball against Alabama sort of deal. Um, I'm an idiot. I would like to point that out. I bet against Nick Saban, never bet against Nick Saban. <laughs> it is a waste of money. You will lose pretty much every time, but, um, agree with, with pretty much everything you said. They, they took care of business. It wasn't overly impressive, but you don't have to be at this point. It's a, it's a two game season or it's a one game season, um, move on and, and play another one, but they did what they had to do. No doubt. I agree that the score was very appropriate. And honestly, Cincinnati is one of the few few four seeds that we've seen not maybe I mean they yeah not just did, get embarrassed. They, they didn't yeah. they didn't they did not embarrass themselves. I mean I think that if anything they might have gained some respect just the way they were able to, they slowed down Bryce Young in that passing attack better yeah. than than anyone besides Auburn all year. So yep. yeah also uh, it was there was that one moment in the game where you thought they might be able to get back in it. It was 17-6. I'm looking at the plays. And when it was yep. Bryce Young threw that pick, and then they had a negative 16-yard drive. And then it was yeah. just they punted it, and you're like, oh, well, that was their opportunity. Yeah, that late touchdown from Bama in the first half really basically ended it. Yeah. Um, any any other thoughts on, on that one? No. All right. Same, same type of deal uh, with Georgia and uh, Michigan. Uh, Georgia apparently had heard enough because they flat out dominated Michigan. Michigan could not move the ball. Uh, Michigan really couldn't stop Georgia. Uh, it just across the board was a ass kicking uh, by the dogs. Uh, they did what they needed to do before this, this Alabama game, I think restored the faith in Georgia um, for a lot of people. Um, yeah. So thoughts on, on this one, Zach. Yeah, the, their defense came to play. It's not as if Michigan's quarterback play is, like, super stellar, but they, they did everything they had to do. Um, I will say it is tough as the favorites, which are Georgia and Alabama, are to not just look ahead. I guess it's a little bit easier in the playoff, but Georgia very 
easily could have come out and kind of uh, laid down. But yeah. uh, Stetson Bennett impressed. I still do question if he's like, is he a guy that goes out and beats Alabama? Um, but to the same token, Zach Calzada is not a name you think of when you think of guys to take down the tide either. So right. uh, Stetson Bennett's definitely capable of, of beating, but he, he looked good um, Saturday. He looked really good. Yeah. yeah. I think he kind of eased some of my concerns uh, as far as as far as Georgia goes. I mean, threw the ball for 313 yards. Uh, I mean, part of it was, I think, Michigan was pr- pretty committed this, to stopping the run. But, I mean, to throw for 313 yards against a, a defense as, as good as Michigan. That's a good defense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you got dudes coming after you. I mean, you got good guys in the, on the back end. Uh, and then, I mean, the key, though, was – not to toot my horn here, but Michigan, I I knew they were not going to be able to run against this this Georgia uh, this Georgia yeah, defense. You did, and you then did. you did, and then the pass game was just, I mean, that rotating between McCarthy oh, and that shit, McNamara. That shit's not going to work. No, in the semifinal. No, so I mean, just a flat out dominant performance by Georgia uh, made for a very boring New Year's Eve for me because my New Year's Eve plans were literally to sit there and watch football. And both games were very uneventful. Yeah, but uh, well, let's we'll save the the rest of our thoughts on both those teams for the uh, much more anticipated national title game, which we'll which we'll dive into uh, here in a little bit. Uh, but, but before we do that, let's uh, let's look at some college football news. And the story of the week is no doubt Oklahoma quarterback Caleb Williams entering the transfer portal shortly after OU's. Uh, Alamo victory, Alamo Bowl victory over Oregon. I mean, you, I was not really expecting this to happen, but then you heard more and more talk about the possibility of it happening, and it did. Um, and now I guess the question is, what, what happens next? OU was kind of put in a bad position where they couldn't just sit around and wait for Caleb Williams once he entered the portal. So you can't be left standing there without a quarterback for next year. Uh, so you quickly, within hours of him entering the portal, uh, we're able to secure Central Florida uh, grad transfer Gabriel Davis, who is arguably the best available quarterback in the portal before before Williams entered his name. Dylan so, Gabriel, you said Gabriel Davis. Just clear oh, that up. Gabriel, isn't that a receiver? Shout out Gabe NFL? Davis. Yeah, uh, Dylan <laughs> Gabriel playing good, playing good ball right now. <laughs> yeah, so Dylan Gabriel, uh, really good uh, get for OU. But I guess the question is, what does this really mean for OU? Um, at the end of the day, I don't feel super confident in the idea of Williams coming back. I think he's going to leave, but on the other side of things, he's out there seeing what his market is, I guess, what his value is. And I have a feeling he's probably not getting um, maybe the NIL opportunities that he had expected or that his dad had expected for him. So we'll see uh, what he thinks his best opportunity is. I think it's a bizarre move. I think he's got a good setup at OU, but uh, in this New era of NIL. We're seeing our very first free agent uh, situation with a. With He's a going to Eastern Michigan. I was about to say that. I, I thought Charlie that was Batch. fake. Charlie that's, Batch. That's no, real, Charlie right? Batch offered him a million dollars. Former former Steeler Charlie Michigan. Charlie Batch. He would throw for three hundred yards in a in a quarter at Eastern Michigan. He should do it. Okay, where and do he's you... got a million dollars. He's the king of Michigan with a million dollars. The places that that actually is. I would hey go to Eastern Michigan, offer him a two or three million. Maybe I'll do it. But uh, the pl- anywhere besides USC, 
because of Lincoln Riley and he cited the QB development stuff. So if he transferred to USC, I personally wouldn't love that move because USC's offensive line stinks, but I mean, it's justifiable. He went, he wanted to play for Lincoln Riley. So if that happens, you know, I think there could be some, you know, there's a story behind that. If in Georgia, not the best developer of QBs, but you know, somewhere he could go win and easily go win a national championship. So those two spots, would make some sense to me. Um, not total, but some sense. Anywhere else makes no sense. I mean, you see, we're seeing the Ole Miss toss around there now. We're here. Texas UC- A&M makes sense. UCLA. I'm I'm surprised we're not hearing more about more about A&M to be honest. A&M um, makes a lot of sense to me. Number one recruiting class in the country coming in and a decent year this year and and their quarterback. Kind of a question so. mark at quarterback. Yeah, they did it with a bad quarterback. So um, yeah, A&M makes a lot of sense to me. I don't. I I haven't really heard their name at all either. So. I don't, and there's not, he's from the DC area, correct? Yeah. It's not like Georgetown, some football powerhouse. So I don't know if that necessarily means anything to him, proximity to home. It might. I don't think it does. But, um, I know I Maryland do was ask, high on his list before OU, so that could be like a wild card. Maryland's know. head coach is an offensive guy. So, um, Loxley. Wolf, isn't uh, Tagovailoa still there? Yeah. Talia. Yeah. Um, yeah I will, I, I want to get you guys' opinion on it. Um, because you're both OU guys. I, I, it's, it's funny to me that you see Bob come out and say, no, no one player or person has figured this program, right? I know exactly then, where you're going with this. Yeah. But then you have Venables and the athletic director, the head coach and the athletic director, a dual statement begging this young man to stay at OU. That see, seems a little pathetic from where I'm coming from. I initially kind of thought the same thing. Well, I don't like the statement either way, but I didn't necessarily – at first I thought it kind of seemed as – came across as they were begging but then literally like two hours after that statement was out they had a commitment from dylan gabriel it was almost like i do i don't i wouldn't have released a statement either way but i think it was like also a little bit of like a a pitch to to other quarterbacks almost like it was like look at all we have to offer uh like oh you's gonna bou without caleb williams at, at the helm caleb williams is very very good and is probably going to go on and make a lot of money in the NFL but to be kissing his feet in public like that I thought was a little strange coming from the University of Oklahoma a top three program ever it was definitely weird being like an official statement you know yeah it was that came came from the athletic director yeah yeah I didn't I didn't love it but it's such a new it's also such a new time and like (laughs) we're gonna start seeing weird stuff like this but I don't know I I, it doesn't surprise me that NIL has come into play so fast, but it's just crazy how fast it's come. Yeah, it's it's well, got you saw it. what it's you saw much. what Texas has done, correct? Yeah. yeah. So, so clear the air on that because so is it fifty thousand dollars like for linemen or so what was that? they they basically had their donors start a bunch of bullshit charities, legitimate their charities too. Um, like one is like the Pancake Foundation, like the Texas Pancake Foundation is what it's called. If you are on the roster at Texas as an offensive lineman, you get 50 grand, no matter what. what I thought I saw. So, wow. All right. It's true. And they're doing that for like every position group. Now they were probably doing this behind not 50 grand, but they were giving out funds behind closed. Basically it's just bringing everything into the light that was happening and then adding some more dollar signs to it. Um, But all this shit was going on before, especially with the, the big, the big money programs like UT and stuff like they were cheating yeah, like, before. It's now they, uh, they can do it publicly and add more money to it. 
alums are putting together like LLCs and then yeah, like they're paying they're it on, on behalf of the name of this brand new LLC. So do you think yeah. there's any type of way to limit money, not money made? I would, I would try and cap, I would try and cap it per, per kid. That way they, per, I know that would cause a fit, but um, maybe like a senior can make more money. You can make more money the more years you stay in school. I don't or know regulate like the, the market value of a, you know, like there's a, like there's no, like they're just deciding what the value is. Like, you know, just because, I don't know. The, the, I don't know. I have a lot, a lot, a lot of thoughts on this, but one of my main thoughts is, what does this precedent set? Say it's all about the, the dollar for Caleb and his best opportunity is to, you know, say UCLA and they say they're giving him a couple million bucks. What does that set for the rest of the team? Like now it's, hey, UCLA is paying guys three million yeah, bucks. We got to pay more. So, I mean, I think it sets just a bad, bad standard. And from the player side and from the Caleb side, sorry, we're kind of all over the place on this deal, but I also, I just don't understand if you can go somewhere where you can grab a good, nice deal of cash and be, you know, developed and get ready for the NFL, I get that. But I know there's been a change in the staff at OU, but no one's done better at putting quarterbacks in the NFL before or after Lincoln or before with Lincoln or before Lincoln. And so I don't get going to grab a couple million bucks to potentially, you know, you go to Miami or UCLA and you could slide from a first round pick to a third or fourth round pick when you don't have dudes th you're throwing to all over the place. And suddenly, yeah, sure. You might've made a couple hundred thousand more dollars there, but I mean, just the long-term effect of I agree. I know, leaving a place I, like I actually, where you're packed the first round still, is pretty clear. Since we're still talking about Caleb, another team that would be an interesting get if I knew the coach was staying, because there's some rumors he might go back to the NFL. Michigan wouldn't be that bad a landing spot for Caleb Williams. No, I mean, it would, hey, their, their like defense that. is going to be their defense is going to be good again next year. They're bringing back some of the skill position guys. That wouldn't be the worst place in the world to go play football. Uh, big time conference. I I don't know. Maybe maybe he'd want to go up there. And then I have another question for you guys. Not you two. This is more. I'm more referring to the sports animal caller, the callers, the uneducated population. It is quite funny to me that OSU gets all the shit for bringing in Central Florida, right? It's like, oh, who does Central Florida play? They play they play TUs of the world, you know what I mean? But now OU's bringing in Dylan Gabriel, who played at Central Florida. So you see the irony that, that, that I'm referring to. It's just, it's like, well, this guy's a good quarterback. UCF's a good team. Like, yeah, they might play some duds, but, but who doesn't? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, I guess. I, I I, I mean, I've always thought Central Florida was respectable. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was a good get. Hooli, you have to learn. You just ignore what the dumb people say. And then. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> well, I can't listen to the radio without hearing them. Matt yeah. really has a podcast to reveal his feelings about all the sports animal callers. He has a platform. <laughs> I've tried to call in. I was so angry before, but then I just hung up. I was like, I'm not doing this. But I have the, Jim Traber's phone number if you ever want to text him. The the transfer portal giveth and the transfer transfer portal taketh from the yeah. Sooners. They they're two Heisman guys, two of the best players in school history. It yeah. happens. Um, What's going to be really interesting? Okay, I think so too. What will be really interesting is if he does end up coming back. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's Can Gabriel re-enter or does he like if he was like okay My, fuck that I'm going to UCLA. Now. So I don't know if he could immediately re-enter. I'm not sure the rules on that, but I know he's 
plan he'll be graduating from I guess from OU in May. So even if he if say Williams comes back, he he'll be a graduate transfer at that point. Mm-hmm. Could finish up, just go somewhere else, no, no penalty. I, I one thing they could do to help limit this stuff is bring back the one year penalty, but they're they not should. gonna do that. They That's, should. That would that would help a lot of things because then guys are gonna think twice about wasting a year of their lives uh just practicing and, and going to class. But um that is something they should do. Will they do it? Probably not. Yeah, no, I uh they should 100% do that. They won't do it. But that's like that eliminates a lot of issues because sh- sure, I guess someone could make a jump for an NIL cash grab, but then, you know, you're out for a year. So you're, you're not going to. Yeah. 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 I agree. That's that would really, that's the dumbest thing that has happened in college sports. And the, the argument's always going to be, well, the coaches can leave. Yeah. I, I think mean, the interconference thing should, nine million dollar transfer should have never left. Right. That that's insane to me that you can play for Texas one day and then OU the next. Like I don't I don't get that. Like yeah, there that's should definitely thing. be a penalty for that. That combined with NIL, I think it's just made it crazy. It, yeah, I also don't understand toxic. how you can, from a personal aspect, how you could do that to your teammates. You know? Yeah. That'd be like a coach leaving for another school in the same conference. I don't. Yeah. Hey, it's not same conference, but Sonny Dykes left SMU for TCU. Yeah, I mean it's. This- same metro yeah um all right well a couple other uh a couple other things in the world of college football zach calzada a&m quarterback uh who who was thrust in this starting role this year is staying in the sec west transferring to auburn so the sec quarterback musical chairs continues as mac johnson max johnson is going from lsu to a&m and now you got Calzada heading from AM to Auburn. Uh, another transfer into the SEC is Zach Evans is leaving TCU for Ole Miss. That's a really big get for Ole Miss. That's a good get for Ole Miss. I think he got some off the field concern with him, but the guy's a stud. Um, really good. And then uh, forgot to mention this with the Caleb Williams news, but Mario Williams, Oklahoma's really talented freshman wide receiver, entered the portal as well. I think. He really wants to play with Caleb, so I think that's one of those deals where only way you'll see him back in Norman is likely if Caleb returns. I really well. like I really like Mario Williams. He is um, really, he's maybe really it was good. just the way Lincoln was using him, but like the because they put him in the backfield sometimes. though. No. yeah, he's um, a, he's very versatile. I like him a lot. He kind of reminds yeah. me of CD, a little smaller, yeah, a little but, shorter, yeah. yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, similar type athlete. Um, and then lastly here, uh. Former Maryland head coach and current Ole Miss defensive coordinator, DJ Durkin, uh, who a lot of people have varying opinions of. If you want to Google DJ Durkin, you can figure out why. But he is uh, taking the same def- – he's taking, looking like he'll be taking the defensive coordinator job at A&M. So, uh, he did a good job at Ole Miss this year. He is um, – hey, despite like an actual defense. So Yeah, despite anyone's opinions of him, he is a good coach. And that's a good replacement for Mike Elko. So I think it's a good move for AM. I what do you think of Calzada? Just real quick. I don't get that move. That seems like I thought I TJ Finley to me like looks like he could be a starting quarterback in the SEC. I think he might be in like, better than Zach Calzada I, from what I've watched of both of them. So, so I, I I'm guess curious why he did that. I think the question is do you think Haynes King or who I, I guess it will be his competition? Or I guess Haynes because I think King is still at AM. So be competing it's king and johnson versus finley he's clearly not confident in himself i mean not neither of those quarterback rooms are necessarily i mean he blacked out against alabama and won the starting job based off 
blacking out. Like he touched God for he was targeting yeah. God for a little bit in that game. Oh, yeah, he he had a, he got a little Trevor Knight in him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So it's still the single like most insane thing I've ever watched was Trevor Knight win that game. But, but never nothing like that ever happened again from him. I didn't but know what I was count, watching. But it doesn't. But it doesn't count oh, because a non a, a non playoff bowl game. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so A and M's got a five star coming in at quarterback. Um, number he's the nineteenth best player in the country. So, that, um, if they can get a little bit of quarterback play, though, that's why I'm confused why Cal's not a left. Like, he must just be terrified of this kid coming in and what's already on campus. If if he's moving to Auburn. Yeah, yeah. No, he. I think that is. I believe that is the case for Calzada. Uh, any other? Anyone have any other news um, that Tall had jotted down? Nope. Uh, no. Tanner McAllister. Portals transfer. bananas. Yeah. yeah. McAllister is a good player. He'll bring. He'll he'll start for Ohio State next year if I had to guess. Uh, Knowles definitely is going to enjoy having him around. Good player. I if I was an if I was an Oklahoma State fan, I don't know if I'd love the thought of Jim Knowles recruiting. My no, I don't. I definitely players. don't, and I hope McAllister is the only guy. But at the same time, um, wish him the best. I, I do, like we said over there, I respect him sticking it out for the bowl game. Um, didn't have to do that. He could have just mailed it in. Um, he would have been a fifth-year senior next year. So we'll see. Uh, Trey Sterling declared as soon as the game was over. Colby Harvell Peel has not declared yet, but um, if he stayed for OSU next year, that would certainly Huge. be a, a big addition in return. No doubt about it. All right, so that is all we've got for our college football news. And now let's hop into our interview with uh, athletic reporter Seth Emerson to talk the national championship game. All right, we are really, really excited to welcome Seth Emerson of The Athletic uh, joining us here. Seth has been covering Georgia since 2010, uh, was uh, previously with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and is now with The Athletic. So he's got as good of a pulse on what's going on down in Athens as anyone out there. So Seth, I just kind of want to jump right in here. Kirby, as everyone knows, is 0-4 against Saban, including that SEC title loss this season. Uh, Everything now points to Georgia kind of leveling the talent playing field with Alabama. So what does Georgia need to do to finally get over uh, the Alabama hump? You know, <laughs> that's what everyone wonders because I, I'd say that talent-wise, like you said, Georgia has evened it out. They maybe on a first-team versus first-team basis were right there with Alabama in 2017 and 2018, but it's with Kirby's recruiting classes and roster management that they've been just as deep as them um, and perhaps deeper. Uh, but it hasn't been enough. It wasn't in 2020, which was a little, you know, Georgia was clearly not the better team. Alabama was the better team last year, but a month ago, I mean, if, if you look at body of work, including the Michigan game, Georgia is the better team, yep. but they couldn't do it on the field. Now Georgia did get out to a 10, nothing lead in that game. So it, I don't think you can say that just they were wire to wire beat. Um, They were basically beat in the second quarter and the early part of the third quarter, but they've got to be able to do it. And I don't know if it's a mental block thing. I don't know if it's just that Bryce young is the best quarterback in the country and Georgia's weakness on defense is the secondary, 
or or what, but it's it's just something that they've got to go out and do it. I think if Georgia plays its A game, it's got a very good chance to win. Um, I would say that, however, that if Georgia played its A game, it would be everybody else in the country. I said that was the key against Michigan was play hard, show up, you know, don't just, you know, and, and it was right. They did win that game in easy fashion, but Alabama is the one team that if they also come with their a game, then it might not be enough. Yeah, no, no doubt. And one thing you mentioned, I think is that I thought that I had jotted down was kind of a confidence factor. Uh, do you think that does play a role uh, when, when Alabama and Georgia match up, or is that something, you know, as a spectator, that's probably a bigger deal than it really actually, or isn't as big of a deal as it actually probably is. I, I think it may not matter as much as it is to the, does to the fans, but it does matter. I I think talking to players on the uh, 2017 Georgia team in the years since, when, when players leave a team, that's when they start to get a little more honest. You know, you, when you're in college, you're, you're kind of programmed, you're afraid to say something out of turn. And, and the coaches want you saying history doesn't matter. This year is the only thing that matters and saying certain things. But the reality is often different. Um, I mean, whether or not there was – an Alabama 2017, 2018 game to lean back on. If those games had never happened to much less 2012, 2015, 2008, whether or not those games had happened, the vast majority of players in this, on this team were there last year, as well as a month ago. So there's, there's history to overcome and, and history does matter. And, and I think it, it could help Georgia in that number one, it knows it has to come out from the get-go and play hard. But number two, if you're Georgia people, you're hopefully thinking that if, if Georgia gets out ahead this time, and I mean for longer than they did in December, that they have the memories of 2017 and 2018 to say, keep the foot on the gas this time. Yeah. So what's the, what do you think, what will you be looking for on Monday night when, when the teams are lined up? Obviously, I mean, the clear thing when I look at the box score from last time around is that uh, Georgia just couldn't get to Bryce Young, which yeah. uh, really is surprising. Is that, I mean, outside of, you know, the easy answer of getting after the quarterback, what are some other, some keys maybe offensively for Georgia that you're looking for? Well, I mean, the getting after the quarterback's the main thing. Um, I, uh, that's going to be talked to, to death. Um, it, it's not just that Georgia had zero sacks. They, you know, that reflected sometimes sacks are a deceiving stat, but it wasn't in that game. They just didn't get pressure. They need to at least get pressure, um, force Bryce Young to throw it away. Uh, they need a drive. I mean, if this becomes a heavy offensive game, they need a sack or two because basically it's very rare that sacks come on drives that still end up in scoring drives unless it's in the red zone. Um, so they need to, they need that to get off the field every now and then, but, Alabama, Brian Robinson was not at full strength. Um, he was hurt in the SEC championship, and he still rushed. I think it was 15 times for like 55 yards. It wasn't very effective, but it was enough to kind of keep Georgia's defense honest. Um, Georgia is very good against the run. They're like nobody runs on Georgia. If Alabama is able to run on Georgia, then look out. 
because Bryce Young and his receivers were enough the first time. If, if Alabama becomes two-dimensional, then Georgia's in big trouble. On, on the other side of the ball, though, if, if Georgia's able to run the ball, that would be really big because Alabama's also very good stopping the ball. Um, I mean, Kirby Smart and Nick Saban are uh, both building around their, their lines and the trenches. And, and if the, the more Georgia's able to run the ball and have time of possession, the, the longer that Bryce Young isn't on the field. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, clearly they didn't establish the run last time like they had they'd hoped. I mean, Stetson Bennett has been really, really good, but you probably don't want him throwing it 48 times like last time, I'd guess. Well, he threw it, what was it, 31 times in the Orange Bowl? He threw it 23 times in the first half against Michigan. Like they wow. came out throwing right away. Um, and Michigan's got a very good defense. I mean, statistically, it might be a better defense than Alabama's. Um, but it was also different matchup, different factors and everything like Michigan's edge rushers, Hutchinson and Ojabo want to kind of like, they're, they're going after you. They're going for, for sacks. Um, whereas Alabama is doing a little bit more of what Georgia does, which is kind of more stunts and just kind of trying to fool the offense into making bad plays. Um, so it, it, it catered. I think to, to what Bennett does a little bit more, but yeah, if Georgia's able to run the ball, that'll not only keep Bryce young off the field more, but it will set up Bennett a little more. It'll take pressure off him. Like you said, you don't want him like the, I, I think in a lot of ways we might be able to know whether Georgia won this game by looking at Stetson Bennett's final pass attempts line. If it's 25 or lower, and that's assuming he didn't get hurt and JT Daniels went in, then that's that's probably a very good sign for Georgia. Is is another question, is JT Daniels, is he available to play? Is that or is he yeah that, I've been I, confused I'm, by his medical situation? No, nah, he he's he's been for a while taking some first team snaps and he's been the number two quarterback. And you don't do that if if he's not available. Um, they just haven't played him. So yeah, I I, I think if something happened to Bennett, then Daniels would go in. So do you How think many, the, go ahead, really? Go ahead. How many three and outs do you think would say they they roll out there they don't move the ball at all in the first quarter? Do you think we see JT Daniels? I don't think we see him until the second half until there's an injury. I don't I don't think I, I think they have ridden with Bennett for a while. Um, they have a lot of confidence in him, and uh, they will not pull him unless they pretty much feel they have no choice. I saw a uh, your tweet earlier today about. Uh, him being a, a game manager, I take it you don't consider him a game manager quarterback, do you? No, no. Like I said, he just threw 23 passes in the first half against um, Michigan. And if you look at like his total pass attempts in games, I think that's where people get the idea. Plus like just the preconceived notion that, oh, he's a walk on. And, you know, this is the same program where Jake Fromm started for three years, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Stetson Bennett is not, the safe option to start a quarterback. They are starting him over JT Daniels because they didn't want a safe option. Bennett gives them a dual threat. You know, I mean, he's not Michael Vick back there, but he's, he's, he's not JT Daniels. He's, he's obviously brings some speed to, I mean, he had a, what a 20 yard run or something like that um, early in the Michigan game. And he, he seems to do that once every game. And he has some other times where he's able to 
scramble and get them out of that. And that, that started basically because they were limited at wide receiver early in the season and didn't get those receivers back as receivers and tight ends back as quickly as they thought they would. And they also weren't as strong pass blocking as they thought they would be. Um, And so they thought that they needed when it, it coincided with when Daniels was ready to play again, Bennett was playing well enough that they decided, well, I, we'd rather have a mobile quarterback, all things being equal. Like Daniels didn't lose the job by anything he did on the field. Um, so yeah, now Bennett's not a, not a game manager. He's not a, you know, and, and, and but the thing is like, everybody's got to be a game manager too. Right. Like, young is a game manager. Like he's, he's got to make calls at the line and, you know, in the RPO world, they're all game managers of some sort, but the idea that Stetson Bennett is a, you know, just safe, throw a lot of slants and screens and whatever. I mean, did anybody watch the Orange Bowl? Anybody see those deep balls and, right. and rambles? Yeah, that athleticism would, is really would be kind of cool with the flip the script from uh, the national championship, whatever, 2017, right? When Tua comes in, JT comes in, wins it for Georgia. That would be really cool. Same teams. Yeah, yeah. It, and it's, it's something that people brought up. I actually thought in the lead up a, after the SEC championship, when people said, well, you know, they need to, to go to JT Daniels. I actually said, that's not a crazy idea. Um, I mean, you've seen Stetson Bennett fail twice against Alabama. Um, you know, he's only two against them with five interceptions. Todd Munkins come back to that when I actually asked him about that earlier this week was that like Stetson Bennett did all that. He struggled in the second half of those games. The first halves were good. Um, and he, he's right, you know, especially the SEC championship. Stetson Bennett led him back into it and tied it at 17-17. And then the next time he got on the field was for, for a meaningful down, it was 31-17. So the defense was the reason they lost that game. But I said, if it were up to me, I'd give JT Daniels, if he is healthy, a little bit more of a look. Um, but I also looked at the matchups and I said with Michigan's edge rushers, Bennett probably is the safer choice for the orange bowl. And then maybe you go back to JT Daniels for the championship. If you, if you're going to face Alabama again, but obviously the way that um, Bennett played against Michigan, by the way, with a lot of pocket passes um, it, it's just, it's not an issue right now. Bennett's going to be the starter. Yeah. The way they looked on, uh, New Year's Eve. I, I don't don't disagree with you there. So say we get into another shootout type game like we did in round one. Who are some names besides, you know, the typical Zaire White, James Cook, Brock Bowers? Are there any names, uh, skill position guys on the offensive side of the ball that uh, if, you know, they're given an opportunity, could be someone to watch out for? Well, it's it's hard. I'm, I'm name checking either guys who are fairly well-known already George Pickens and Darnell Washington, like George Pickens, this is his fourth game back. Um, and I thought he might uh, be heavily involved in the orange bowl. He looks like he's, he looked at least in warmups, like he's as close to full strength as he's been, but he only had, I think one ball thrown his way and he caught it. Um, so that's a well that they could tap a little bit more. Uh, Darnell Washington didn't have any catches in the orange boy at one target. Um, he did have that touchdown pass that got Georgia up 10 nothing against Alabama. Um, he, th- those are two big, you know, high wingspan type guys, big targets that 
they, they could be very potent for Georgia. Um, otherwise, there's some names that of guys that you saw in the Orange Bowl. Uh, Jermaine Burton caught a lot, long touchdown pass. Um, Kenny McIntosh, the guy who threw the halfback option touchdown pass, is a pretty good running back receiver type in his own mold. And uh, Kendall Milton, I'm not sure he played in the Orange Bowl. He's working his way back from injury, but – He's the fourth string running back who like would be a starter for a lot of teams and yep. they'll probably be a starter for Georgia next year. So they, they've got, they've got a lot of good players. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's kind of, before we wrap up with our last couple of questions, I guess any up, are there any COVID or injury uh, updates to, to watch out for leading up to the game? Yeah. COVID stuff's always like around the corner, but they were in very good shape. Um, nobody that was like, seemed obviously out, um, for that reason against, uh, Michigan, um, injury wise, uh, nothing. I mean, they, they seem to come out of it pretty well. I mean, some people, uh, I mean, Kirby mentioned Brock Bowers dealing with a shoulder thing, um, in the post game, but he also said that Bowers has dealt with that. He's kind of played through it for a while and he has looked fine, um, so, I mean, maybe we find out later that he's more hurt than we thought, but he, he hasn't seemed hurt. Gotcha. Okay. We'll wrap up here with, with two, two more questions for you. So you had a really good piece uh, this week um, just talking about what a championship would mean to the Georgia faithful. Uh, could you kind of just give a quick breakdown of, you know, it's been since 1980, since the dogs have been on top, what would this, you know, if they could get over Alabama and finally get over that save and hump, what would this mean to, to lifelong Georgia fans? Well, like the piece said, it would mean everything to so many people. There's, it's been 41 years. Um, it was New Year's Day, 1981. So a little over 41 years. And just, you know, do the math in your mind. How many people have never known a Georgia championship in their lifetimes? Like Kirby Smart just turned 46. Um, and he grew up in Georgia. He was five so he you know may have just i'm not even sure if he's been asked this it might be a good question next time but like does he have any memories of it um and so for a lot of people they've never known it and but i i think for a lot of people it would be a relief because it, it's kind of the only thing you can say about georgia anymore the only taunt that opponents have left um is 1980 1980 like georgia tech has a national championship since then. Um, and they are irrelevant at this point. Um, how many other programs do like Georgia beats Auburn regularly? Auburn has a couple where they have, uh, you know, they have the undefeated season. Plus they have the national championship in 2010. Um, Tennessee, Georgia beats them regularly. They have the T Martin year. Um, it's, it's just something that would, that would be like everyone I talked to, talks you know says they would cry but it would be like a sigh of relief I think in 2017 that was such a special unexpected season that as painful as losing to Alabama was just getting there was kind of a bonus but you kind of thought it was going to happen every year after that and they were close but it's taken four years to get back there so I think that has only whetted the appetite for Georgia fans all right. So to close here, can we get a, can we get a prediction out of you? What, what do you expect to happen on Monday? I'm not, I'm not good on predictions. I'd rather not like okay. I'm, not even, I'm, I'm avoiding it 
for the athletic. Even yep. like, I just, I, I, you know, I, I feel you there. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't even know whether I'd assign confidence in this. Um, I think, um, I just think it's going to, I, it could go either way. I could, I could see, I could see it being a repeat of the SEC championship. I could see Georgia winning like 35, 17, or I could see a back and forth game close down to the wire. But if it is close and down to the wire, I think Georgia fans will be dreading the outcome. (laughs) Well, I, I, I feel you on the no prediction there. I have no idea what I expect to come, come Monday night. So, uh, Seth, we really, really, really appreciate you taking the time. I know it's a super busy week for you, so you joining us really, really means a lot. Thank you. Take care. Thanks, Seth, for joining us. That was a really great interview uh, with some good insight, especially uh, on the Georgia side of things. So we're going to quickly look at it more from an Alabama perspective to wrap up here. Uh, So Seth gave a really great uh, idea of what's going on in Athens. Uh, as far as, as Alabama goes, I, I keep looking at this game in a couple of different ways because everything I see outside of what we saw in Atlanta about a month ago uh, points to Georgia being the better football team. But Alabama has Nick Saban. Kirby Smart has not shown the ability to beat Nick. He's come close a couple of times. Um, but because I can't decide, do I look at this game purely on the teams on the field? Or do I, I mean, you almost have to factor in the Nick Saban versus, versus Kirby Smart element of it. So I think George is the better team. I think that they, you know, they should beat Alabama, but I don't know if that's actually what I expect to come uh, on Saturday. It's, it's, remember, it's not the best team who wins, it's the team that plays the best. Yep. Uh, unless Kirby Smart comes out like um, the coach and Waterboy when they're playing in the 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 bowl game and he sees him as like a golden retriever, um, they're probably like it, as a fan of a team who's little brother to somebody. It's it, it's the mental block is real, and whether players want to admit that or, or fans want to admit that, like it's 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 a very real thing. Uh, Nick's the master for a reason. I I spoke on it earlier you don't get rich betting against Alabama Georgia might be the better team um Alabama also has the best offensive player on the field for either side which I think does carry some weight in Bryce Young who was kind of neutralized a little bit last game but uh I I just have a tough time going against Nick Saban in a game like this yeah that's kind of how I'm how I'm leaning at this point I wonder, does Georgia come out with a similar game plan uh, that they did against Alabama last time, which was hey, we're going to give the run game a try, but if it doesn't, we're going to throw the ball around with Stetson a bunch, which the run game wasn't too successful against the, uh, Alabama's rush defense, which is very, very good. It actually ranks ahead of Georgia when it comes to yards per carry, which is uh, pretty shocking. So Alabama also has a very good rush defense. Does they let Stetson throw the ball 48 times like they did last time? I would tend to think not, uh, but the weakness of Alabama is that secondary. So do you completely change what you think is the best way to attack Alabama just because of that one Saturday um, and try to run the ball more and kind of keep it out of Stetson's hand? Or do you trust him to, 
to toss it around against the Alabama secondary, which is, the, I think, the one part of that team that really is could be vulnerable. So on the on the flip to that, they, to go with your point, are you comfortable with Stetson Bennett beating you? Is what I would say as an Alabama you uh, say, player or, hell or coach. Yeah. Like it, if Stetson Bennett goes out and lights my ass up like a like fine, like we lost to Stetson, like I'll take that. You know what I mean? And that's nothing against Stetson Bennett, but obviously when you're comparing the two quarterbacks or the strengths of, of either offense, I don't think Stetson Bennett is like the major strength for Georgia, but Seth talked about it. He is a little bit more dynamic than people give him credit for. He's not just some stiff walk on, like he'll make some plays, especially with his legs. But I think if I'm Alabama, I'm trying to make him, him beat me. Yeah. I think this game is going to be a close game. I don't think we're going to have what we had last time. Um, Agreed. I, I think I'm going to be taking Alabama just because, you know, until Saban proves that come yeah, until he falls off, he's, yeah. he's, the man. I, like, he's yeah, the I was an off. idiot and, and bet on That's Cincinnati. Um, so I think I'm going to go with Alabama to win this one, but I do think it's going to be close because there's no chance Alabama is going to be able to keep Bryce young clean completely like they did last time around. Georgia's no. going to be able to create some sort of havoc. And if they can create a turnover or two, which is very possible, I think it could easily go to Georgia. I think it's a close game. And in a close game, why would I bet against Nick Saban? So I'm, I'm picking, picking Alabama to uh, win Saban's what eighth title. I think it's is it seven and does he have six and Al- I think he has six at Alabama right now. And one I think it. I think it would be his eighth. Yeah, which is yeah. pretty incredible. Um, do you have a score you want to add just for fun? Yeah, I think it's the gonna total's be, fifty-one. I think right now. I think it's going to be a little, a little lower scoring. Uh, than the last one, at least I don't think Bama is going to score quite as much. Let's go with, I think I picked said 34 30 or something like that in my uh, last week in my uh, prediction that went on Instagram. I'm going to go a little lower than that. I'm going to say uh, 30 to 27 uh, Alabama. I like that. I'm going to go Bama 27, Georgia 23. I like, yeah, I think that. I, I don't think. I don't think that Bama is going to be able to is going to have, you know, the throwing lanes and be able to completely just throw all over Georgia like last time. So I think it could be a, a low scoring game. I but I I'm going to bet Alabama, especially as an underdog. But you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't mind seeing Georgia. Seems like a team that you'd be like, oh, they they probably have so many national championships historically. Not a ton. None. Like they, yeah, well, they might won get 80... all these great recruits, but they they haven't won in a long, long time. So it will be interesting to see how they come out because uh, they can finally pin themselves as an underdog. You know how Dabo Sweeney always loves mm-hmm. when he can throw the underdog label on his guys in these big playoff games. They typically play pretty well. I wonder yeah. if Kirby Smart will will take that strategy. Obviously, they're see, but their favorite, favorite though. Yeah, exactly. They they got to know in their heart of hearts though that they are um, the better team, and I'm sure that everybody in the locker room thinks that way, but. Yeah. So Clint. lastly here, or um, yeah, Clint, I'll, I'll go, uh, I'm going Bama 27, 21. All like right. That. All kind of similar, similar boats. So lastly, before we close here, how, I mean, I'm excited for the national national championship every year, no matter the teams, how excited are you guys for this one? Sure. It's two sec teams. It's a rematch, but I mean, it, I think it has the potential to be a really, really great game. What's the excitement level? Uh, compared to a normal national championship for you out of 10 yeah 
Um, probably like about a seven. It, it'll be interesting for me because I can, for the first time in a long time, say, well, how would OSU do against like one of these? I hate to tie back into OSU, but you can kind of do that when your team's a little better. It's like, well, how would we mm-hmm. fare against a team like this? So you do have some some interest, but I'd say about a seven, though, because these these have been two of the better teams all year. I wouldn't necessarily say Alabama's been the second best team all season or the best team all season, but when it's mattered, they have. So, yeah, probably around there. This yeah. is one of those that, uh, even though it is a rematch and they've played a good amount the last few years, it's still just two really good teams going at it. So, of course, we're going to be excited. And just can Georgia do it? They get another opportunity. I'm, I would say, eight, seven, eight. That's but yeah, ca- uh, that's exactly where I am too. I think, I mean, the storyline of the potential yeah. Georgia and Kirby Smart getting over the Alabama hump is exciting. The game, I think, has the chance to be an, an all-time game. I don't think we're going to see what we saw in Atlanta. So, I mean, I'm really, really excited for this one. It should be, uh, it should be fun. I mean, you know. We're playing for a national championship, so it does signify the end of college football season. Yeah, which sucks. And that's kind of where I was going to go next as we close up here. So, uh, yeah, so end of the college football season. It'll be this is our last time talking about actual an actual game until come late August when we start talking about the 2022 season. So, uh, as I've said the last few weeks, we'll continue to talk college football throughout the off season. There's always stuff going on in college football. We'll have some polis assassin uh, type stories that come out. Yeah. Um, inevitably. It's only going to get better with all this money. Yeah. More the off season should be yeah. more and more exciting. Yeah. So there should be plenty to talk about there. Uh, golf's PGA season actually got uh, teed off today. So primetime golf. Yeah. If you have ESPN, yeah. I think. So that will be a major yeah. point for us and college basketball. So I just think that's kind of what we'll revolve our things around. I mean, there will always be different stuff to talk about. So we'll keep everyone updated as we move into the college football offseason. Um, but yeah, give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram, fifth year podcast on Twitter and at the fifth year podcast on Instagram, like, like rate, subscribe on Apple podcasts, uh, check us out on Spotify oh, and Spotify. I saw that just uh, had a rating added a rating system. Oh. So, both so, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, give us a five yeah. star. Give us, a, yeah, give us, or you know, if you these, hate us, give us a one star. Give us a Caleb, give us a Caleb Williams five star. Hey, go, yeah, go be the first person to rate us on Spotify. And yeah, that is all I've got. Anything before we run beer? Thanks for the support yeah. this year. It's been fun. Can't believe it's the last one previewing a game. So yeah, we really appreciate it. Looking forward to keeping this thing going. And like Parker was saying, we're kind of just going to. We don't really know what the plan is, but golf, college basketball, and just everything going on in sports worlds if there's big stories. So we will uh, continue the podcast. And, yeah, thank you, guys. Um, One last thing. Caleb Williams needs to do what's best for him. Um, All right. He's got to make the right decision. Yeah. Hey, that that is all we've had. Really (laughs) seems to have lost connection. So we appreciate everyone listening, and let's have a great 2022.